Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is currently available as a video. So if you want to check us out in all our glory, then please head over to youtube.com at Poddywood. For now, though, enjoy the episode. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Poddywood, the uneducated show where a one educated person and an uneducated person try and educate each other while being at the same time both uneducated and a little bit fat. I am Steve Hester and joining me as always this week is my co-host... That would be me, Andrew Roger Carson. I kind of like that intro. You've easily qualified us for being on BBC Two at 2am. Yes. We should, we should be... Well, you've just got glasses. Yeah, okay, yeah. I've got That's it. made you look more intelligent already. <laughs> yeah, it makes me look that way. Uh, we'll see if it works. Uh, basically, <laughs> um, there was a few people who commented last week uh, the fact that my eyes look incredibly squinty. And the main reason being I've been suffering with my eyes for quite a while. Uh, finally went to get them tested. And uh, they discovered that one of my irises is bigger than the other that is the reason why you probably always see me wearing sunglasses when it's really bright because i can't i cannot open my eyes otherwise i am actually blind and uh i was getting really bad migraines i feel i need to go and get them tested went to get them tested and yes now i have to wear glasses and uh welcome to the club that's the excuse i give for all that masturbating (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I've got the, the tissues for that. Anyway. Speaking uh, of masturbating, so... Steve, <laughs> let's talk about Before the Devil Knows You're Dead from last week. If you don't know what we're talking about, just watch the last episode. Episode 72 is the first time that we went fully kind of video. Uh, yeah, I've got the tissues, not because of what we're going to get into in a moment, but because I am rather congested at the moment. I've got a cold, so I'm going to apologize right now for all the <laughs> and everything else which is going on in this episode i'll try and keep it to a minimum but yes another film from 2007 was it 2007 2007 oh, yes it was 2007 of course no, yes so we can always guarantee that steve has not seen this movie no. i reckon a really good game came out on january 1st and that was it mass effect and i think the Wii came out that year i can't remember um well, I need to first uh, make an alteration from last week. Um, I was half asleep when we did the podcast, and I referred to this movie as a John Dahl movie. It's not a John Dahl movie. It's a Sidney LeMay movie. Yes. So I do apologize for those of you who got offended. Director of one of my favorite films, and I, I, it's got to be one of yours, 12 Angry Men. Of course. Absolute masterpiece. And yeah, I'd love that film to absolute pieces. Um, this one um, is, it's it's an absolute wrencher oh, on yeah. a number of levels. Let's get into the basics of this. You've got two brothers. You've got uh, Andy, played by the late and very great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Brilliant. A man who could command the screen by basically mumbling without closing his mouth. Yes. He, he 
he he could do that. He he's magic. He, he Uriza drawn to him. He was the Brando everywhere. of this generation. I would happily say he's yes. the Brando of this generation. Absolutely, without question, incredible actor. Sad sad loss to the profession. And then you've got his younger brother Hank, played by Ethan Hawke, and uh, both of them end up in money troubles. Andy basically comes up with this plan of robbing their parents' jewellery store, taking the loot, selling it off, and at the same time, their parents can then claim back on the insurance. Now, their parents aren't in on this. But what you have in the movie is you have this very, very simple plan, and it all totally spirals out of control. And what is lovely is you don't just see the aftermath of it all. You see the basis for every little decision which gets them into the trouble that they're in. And I am going to go into spoilers here. So if you are worried about that, just go to the time code, which is on the screen below. Uh, or if you're listening to this on the podcast, just skip forward to this time code. I'm going to put it in here. 1732. And then no spoilers. Uh, but the way that it works is that it shows how every little piece of it that was planned has something that can go wrong and something does go wrong. So right from the very beginning, uh, Andy says that Hank has to go and do this robbery. Andy gets someone else involved in the robbery. This guy then shoots his mum, but his mum wasn't even supposed to be working that day. She was supposed to be off, but the person who was supposed to be working couldn't come in. And then you get to see how every other decision which has led to this moment has had this incredible butterfly effect. And then everything that plays out afterwards and the film is shown in disjointed chunks where you're presented with something, but you're only given half the story. And then a short while later, you get the explanation behind it. And I thought it was absolutely incredibly done. Yes. From start to finish. I really, really did. It's, it's a tour de force. It's an actor's movie as well. Oh yeah. But it's, it's LeMay. Yes. Uh, you, You cannot go wrong with LeMay. He is the actor's director. And I put this as, I mean, his career is incredible. Every film he's done has been, in my view. Dog Day Afternoon. I think that was one yeah. of the first ones that we did on What's in the I, Box. I always say about the Mount Rushmore, I put Dog Day Afternoon, I put 12 mm-hmm. Angry Men, I put Serpico, and then I put this. I, mm-hmm. I actually put that this right up there with the best work he has ever done. And sadly, it was the last movie he ever did as well. Yeah, I did I did read that because I saw the name Sidley. In the- this is 1874. You'll be able to sue her. In the May come up. And it was one of those where my mind was blanking. So I knew that I'd seen the name. I knew that I'd heard the name. And then I, I just looked it up online and it was on there. So that was a hell of a shame. Yeah. It really was. The, his um, his loss, I know that me and George Gallo talked about Sidney LeMay quite a lot. Uh, we're both huge fans of his. And uh-huh. both huge fans of Philip Seymour Hoffman as well. Uh, just, as we mentioned, an amazing actor. There is a scene in this movie where he has the breakdown with... Um, Marissa Tamai, and yeah. it's one of the greatest things I think I've ever seen an actor perform. He's committing to it 100%. Yeah. And it speaks through the screen every single time that he feels an emotion, even if it doesn't show in his face. Uh, like there's a scene where Tomei leaves him because she's been having an affair with Hank, and he gives her some money for cab fare, and everything's just so calm. 
everything's just so calm until he decides that he's going to trash the apartment. But it is the most calmest and deliberate trashing scene that I've ever seen in my life. Like he he doesn't whack things off a table. He just gently kind of shoves them off with his hand until they fall to the floor. Yes. He does this to most of the apartment. And you know he's internalizing it all, but his face doesn't say anything. And um, I think, you know, you need to give some credit to Ethan Hawke with this one as well. Yes. I think it's a lesser part out of the two. Even though um, it's his it's... third of four before movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, uh, maybe speaking... he just handed the script and it was said before. Yeah, I'll do this again. Oh, wait a minute. What's this? Yeah. Wait, wait. No. Where's, Where's... Richard Linklater? I've not. Si I've signed the contract. No. Um. <laughs> so suddenly yeah. Julie's been recast. What's going on? I think Hank hasn't really got an awful lot to do apart from just whine and dwell on what's happened. Yes. And uh, he he does he does a very very good job of it. The scenes between him and Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman, he's just, he's hes on fire throughout the whole thing. Yes. And speaking of someone who is hot, <laughs> Marissa Tomei, uh, or Tomei, as you said last week, I say Tomei, you say Tomei. Let's, Let's go call the whole thing <laughs> um, She is in one of her pre-Aunt May roles and pretty much nude throughout the entire first act of this movie. It's quite a way to open a movie. <laughs> yeah, that way. I mean, like I said, I like Philip Seymour Hoffman. I don't want to see his bare naked ass having sex with Marissa Tomei. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, funnily enough, I um I listened to the audio commentary uh, that Sidney Lumet did for this movie, and the the story behind that was great because this was Philip Seymour Hoffman's first nude role, first sex scene ever in a movie. Mm -hmm. And apparently he was, he had so many inhibitions about it. He was really shy. And apparently as we were setting up, uh, Marissa Tomei just like is naked, gets on all fours on the bed, <laughs> sticks her butt out, slaps it and says, come on, Philly, let's go. And apparently he was <laughs> burst out laughing and all of his hesitations were done. Then he was like, fine, we're in the zone. Let, let's just, you know, have fun. I love the fact that there's two aren't amazing this. I had that. I was wondering if you would pick up on that. Yep. Only one of them is naked in the movie, though. Rosemary Harris <laughs> managed, manages to keep him in. Yeah. I mean, how old was Rosemary Harris when they, they made this? Because this was about... Oh, this would have been this... around about the time that Spider-Man 3 came out. Yeah, it had been the same year as uh, Spider-Man 3. So I reckon, I think Spider-Man 3 came out first that year, if I remember yeah. right. Um, but yes, there are two amazing. Yeah. Yeah, playing uh, mother and daughter-in-law. Yeah. Uh, we have a shout needs to go out to Albert Finney as well. Yes. Who, I don't know. I think at this point he was very old and he, he felt he, he felt just like he was old, but you could tell that there's still this fire in him that was burning as a performer. A lot of his scenes are incredible. Yes, uh, and, and the, the payoff and how the movie ends mm. is really well. And um, obviously because we told the spoiler people to like, you know, leave <laughs> or come back later, go and watch the movie or whatever. Uh, I love the fact that there is a very clear King Lear reference, if you spot it. Yeah, the play. The school play. Yeah. yeah. Who the hell puts nine-year-olds in King Lear? 
<laughs> I was going to ask the exact same question. It's, who does that? <laughs> that school drama teacher has some serious issues, I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, also, uh, speaking on the serious issues, I mean, you, you see Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie. He's very kind of drug dependent. So, you know, he is. Mm -hmm. he, he does a lot of drugs, which is really kind of sad when you look at how Philip Seymour Hoffman died. He had been 23 years sober. Yeah. And uh, right around this time, he kind of dipped back into drugs again. And that's, that is how he died from a mixture of different drugs in his system. And it is the, it is the tragic Belushi way to go out, I guess, because yeah. as we did ball as well, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. As, as we discussed on uh, the show, on certain episodes back when we were talking about Jim Belushi and neighbors, neighbors was the movie where everyone was doing serious amounts of cocaine on that movie. And he relapsed. And that was the movie that basically killed him off. Mm -hmm. And so around this time, Philip Seymour Hoffman very sadly fell back into that. Um, also, in, in speaking of showers on this movie, we have Michael Shannon. Yes, as a really intimidating uh, brother to the guy who, is, who holds up the, uh, the store at the beginning. In the same year Proper as Shotgun Stories, I might add. Yeah, I preferred this to Shotgun Stories. Well, yeah, but... Yeah. 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 You know. I uh, didn't really dig that one. There's a great interview uh, with Michael Shannon talking about how he got this role. But he, he went into casting. Uh, apparently, he delivered one line. He managed to get one line out when he was sat there. And uh, Sidney Mayer said, okay, thank you. Uh, you can leave now. Michael Shannon's walking out thinking, shit, you know, com completely balls that up. And just as he was leaving, you hear Sidney Mayer say, that's the guy I want. On the strength of what is opening line of his uh, casting meeting. I wonder what that is, because having been in castings, you do occasionally just get sides which have got nothing to do with the the thing that you're going for. So you can imagine it just going, hi, my name's Michael Shannon. No, that's it. Yeah, we want him. <laughs> this probably is a shotgun stories dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, only thing really that I, or two things that I didn't like about this movie. First, I was not a fan of how washed out a lot of the color was. It looked very, very dour. Um, and I don't know what the reason was behind that, but a lot of the coloring looked very, very cold. It yeah. looked very bleached. I wasn't a big fan of that. Um, and the ending. Uh, I like the ending right up until the point where you see Albert Finney walking off down the hospital corridor, and then there's just this bright light that comes in. Mm. Mm, I, I don't get that at all. Are they trying to say, well, this is like a heaven thing or, or what? I don't know. Those are my only two nitpicks with it, though. Could be down to interpretation. I mean, I love um, I love the technique that Sidney LeMay does. He, he he loved to use multiple cameras during takes to get reactions during those takes. And mm -hmm. I, as you know, I am a big fan of the, the two-camera technique. I prefer having two cameras filming when you've got a, a two-shot of people. It's better if you're a performer as well. You know, the, the strange thing is, with this being Sidney Mayer's final film, this is the only one he ever did shot digitally. That might be why it looks so washed out then. Quite possibly. That's what I was thinking. Um, yeah. apparently he fell in love with the digital process and he'd never used it in all of those years. And this was the first and only time that he had done it. And it, right. it results in one of his best movies, you know? So I think if there is a, you know, a, a lot of 
pure filmmakers, like mm-hmm. what we've Bunny Rabbit is, uh, try and stay away from the digital format. You know, Tarantino still loves his film. Uh, I think Chris Van Nolan is one who still loves to prefer to shoot on film if possible. Um, You know, but to have a true artist like Sidney May adopt that and actually prefer it, you know, it's, it just, it goes to show some ways that can really work out. I will also mention about uh, Marissa Tomei's naked scenes with Ethan Hawke, because obviously Mm -hmm. she's diddling both brothers. Originally in the scene, Ethan Hawke was not supposed to be naked. It was only supposed to be Marissa Tomei, but Ethan Hawke basically said, no, if she's going to be naked, I'm going to be naked as well. And not only that, uh, they also made all of the male members of the crew stripped down completely naked as well in the scene to make her feel more comfortable, to which I think that sounds like a setup if ever I've heard one. <laughs> yeah, so you saw the male members of the male members. Okay. Yes. Fair enough. Um and, and just kind of finishing on this uh, for myself, uh, I think this is very much Philip Seymour Hoffman holds this movie. He really does. Mm-hmm. He is the force. But I will give an incredible shout out to Amy Ryan as well, who does uh, an amazing turn for what she's got in this movie. Uh, it really is a great movie. Uh, I, could, I would happily promote this as one of the best films that we've reviewed. Yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful drama. It's unpredictable, and it does reel you in. The by the way that it drip feeds the the uh, the reasons behind all of the events that are happening, and it's a story about unpredictability and family, and and how the little things can just spiral so hideously out of control. So exactly. yes, big thumbs up for this one. And uh, if you're just coming back right now from uh, exile after skipping ahead hello we watch them again all of the time or we get them on prime for free but we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary okay anniversaries uh we're back again this week uh, as we had five last week, I've shortened it a little bit this week. We've got three, three major ones that I want to talk about anyway. Uh, so we're going to go back the furthest. Now, Steve. Okay. Can you believe, Steve? Yes. 40 years ago, this week, a movie yeah. called High Road to China was released. I've heard of the name, but I don't. I know that I've not seen it, no. Well, in keeping with our Indiana Jones theme uh, from last week, High Road to China was uh, the time that Tom Selleck got to do his Indiana Jones-style adventure after losing out his role in Raiders of the Lost Ark because he was contractually obligated to Magnum P.I. So this this is a movie that was seen as um, the kind of spin-offs that came around that time uh, from the success of Raiders. Yeah, you had things like... Alan Quartermain and the Lost Cities of Gold. King you? Solomon's Mines. Yeah. From Kevin. Sharon Stone. <laughs> and yes. uh, what, what, was, what was the name? Richard Richard Chamberlain, that was it. Richard yeah. Chamberlain, yes. Well, this was Tom Selleck's turn. And a lot of people say it was a spin-off, but what you may not know is the script for High Road to China actually existed in the 1970s. So this actually predates Indiana Jones in being created. But the film came right. afterwards. Now... A lot of people have said uh, because uh, Tom Selleck could not do Indiana Jones, this was kind of offered to him. 
you know, as a, as a kind of peacekeeping thing, I guess. Uh, it was his first ever lead role. He'd appeared in a whole bunch of movies like Coma, directed by Michael Crichton. Yes, that's Michael Crichton. <laughs> that's my really crappy trailer voice man. They don't yes. even do trailer voice man anymore. No, they don't. We're missing him. Uh, and I can see why Tom Selleck was such a leading man, because he had that very Clark Gable quality to him. And a massive moustache. And the biggest moustache in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he still has, he still rocks that moustache now on Blue Buds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, he's still he's still working. It's still there. He looks... He's one of these people um, who looks so weird without a moustache. Like my dad, throughout my entire life, up until, I'd say, about 2003 or so, had a moustache. And as soon as he shaved it off, he just looked so weird. I mean, I keep this beard mainly because that it hides a multitude of chins. Um, but yeah, but see, see, we all joke I'm about those weird. movies where they're wearing the really fake mustache, but it's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it does actually yeah. throw people off. It does. Yeah. Um, this also starred Bess Armstrong, uh, who did really, really well uh, in this movie, considering she also did Jaws 3D the same year. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a conversation for another day. That's coming up yeah. on anniversaries one day soon. Um, the, the problem with High Road to China is Raiders of the Lost Ark was such a trendsetter for action and how these movies should do that this did feel incredibly old-fashioned. This felt like a throwback to those old Humphrey Bogart, Clark Gable adventure movies. You know, you had your plane chases in there, well, a whole bunch of plane chases in there with biplanes and stuff. Um and, and Tom Selleck really held himself as a leading man. Now, this was directed by a guy by the name of Brian G. Hutton. Now, if you know that name, you nope. will know it from uh, some great movies that he directed, like uh, Where Eagles Dare. Oh, yes, I've seen that one. Kelly's Heroes. Not seen that one. Oh, my God. That's like one of the best movies ever made. Sorry. Uh, also did other films like uh, Nightwatch. We have Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, there's a movie called The Heroin Gang. So he did he did a lot of stuff. And I think High Road to China was his final movie before he passed on. And this was released by Golden Harvest. Oh, the uh, the people behind Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> You're going to say that. Of course. That's, it's the only thing I know them as. That's kind of they, they release kung fu movies and they release Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's it. Da, 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 da. Do you know they still have the same logo to this day? It's that. Doom, doom, Should be. Doom, doom. Uh, but yeah, Golden Harvest around this time had some kind of relationship with Warner Brothers at the time because Golden Harvest also were involved in Cannonball Run 2, won by John Ashton on the Christmas special, I might add. Yay! And also uh, a, a really underappreciated uh, Jackie Chan American movie called The Protector that came out in 84, something like that. I have a feeling I might have seen that, but I can't remember. Oh, yeah. I had to go through a little bit of a Jackie Chan phase he's partnered in up my with, late teens. He's partnered up with Danny Aiello. It's brilliant. And directed by James Glickenhouse. Hi, James. I don't know that name. Uh, now, High Road, High Road to China originally uh, was going to be directed by John Huston. Now, obviously, John Huston is one of the biggest names in, in directing. Uh, and originally, it was going to star Roger Moore. And Jacqueline Bissett were going to take the roles that were originally taken by Tom Selleck and Bess Armstrong. Uh, also, Bo Derek. When Jacqueline Bissett dropped out, Bo Derek was apparently up for it, but then she refused to do it unless her husband was uh, directing the movie. 
and probably getting showcasing her naked like he did in every movie that he ever did. Yeah. It's like, geez, if you want to see your wife get boned on screen, dude, come on. You, you've done it how many times in Bolero? That's ridiculous. High Road to China, it's enjoyable. I mean, it wasn't a massive hit. I think it was something like the 27th highest grossing movie that year. No, but, well, that's not a huge... Yeah, it's 83, though, isn't well, it? You know. Yeah. Yeah, to be honest, I think... I think movies like that can work very, very well, but you have to try and treat them as their own thing. And I think that was why the Indiana Jones films work so well. It, well, not only the, because of the fact that you've got someone like Steven Spielberg helming them, who yeah. knows how to tell an adventure, but it's because that they were treated as their own movie instead of just a throwback, instead of just an example of what happened in the past. It took what happened in the past and made it just new enough for modern audiences to properly enjoy yes, that it worked. Same with George Lucas and Star Wars. He was able to take all those old serial adventures that he used to do. Stuff yeah. like that, yeah. And take that and make it feel right for the zeitgeist at the time. So, yeah, I think that's what a lot of these other directors were missing. I think they were just trying to ape what had gone on before. It's the Hollywood machine. You know, they just yeah. churn out new versions of stuff. It's repurposing, you know, movies. Every single movie has a link to an earlier movie. Um, yeah. such as the movie that was released 30 years ago this week. Ooh. Now, I have a feeling you have seen this. Okay. Because 30 years ago this week, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 was released. <laughs> I have. I went to the cinema to see this. <laughs> I did. I did too. That's, that's <sighs> shocking. Turtles in Time. No, it was not called Turtles in Time. That no. was the SNES game. I that believe. was. It was a fantastic game as well. It was a fantastic yeah. game. But uh, some VHS or DVD copies came out with Turtles in Time as a subheading. And uh, yeah. it was never called that. It was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Now, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 was directed by Stuart Gillard. Now, Stuart Gillard, I think this was maybe one of his only feature roles. He'd done a lot of TV uh, shows like... Uh, Road to Avonlea, uh, All Souls, did a couple of episodes of the Outer Limits uh, reboot that came out in the 1990s as well. But as far as I know, this was his major foray into a movie. Now, that makes actually a lot of sense because I do remember seeing the sets and everything being used in another live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV series that came out. Oh, the next mutation. The yeah, that's it. It was awful. That was supposed to be the fourth yeah. Ninja Turtles movie, but this movie underperformed because Turtles was on the downswing around that time. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I like some of the ideas. I've always liked the the the, uh, the, uh, the fish out of water story when you go back in time and someone like, trying to deal with what happens in the past Yeah, with a modern mindset. I've always loved that sort of thing. But what you have is the animatronics have completely devolved from the brilliant Jim Henson stuff of the first two. Yes, because they all horrible... went, yeah. Yeah. They, they went yeah. with a different thing. This was the first time that Jim Henson was, well, the Jim Henson workshop, because he had passed on by this point, uh, were not involved with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise. Uh, but you did get Corey Feldman back voicing Donatello. Yes, yes he did. And uh, there's, a, there's a great story behind that that I found out from my research this week. So apparently the filmmakers felt really bad 
that um, Corey did not come back for Teenage Mutant Ninja 2. The Secret of the Ooze. Ooze. Uh, so he was voicing Donatello in the original and groundbreaking and absolutely brilliant Teenage Mutant Ninja Fantastic. Turtles movie. Yeah, no matter what anyone says, that is a work of art, that movie for an independent movie. Uh, they offered him to come back and do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 for the same amount of money of what he was making in the first Ninja Turtles movie. And apparently uh, he asked for more money than he was originally paid for part one. And then the filmmakers turned around and said, well, yeah, but you were in rehab. And, yeah. then, and then denied him that money. Uh, so I, he came I think back his to career was, was on the downswing because he was so huge in the 1980s. He'd gotten everything from Goonies, Friday the 13th, uh, Lost Boys. Just the list of his projects just went on and on and on. And then in the, the 90s, his uh, star was sadly on the wane. So as Rick James would say, cocaine is a wonderful drug. Uh, yeah. Now, this obviously was done by Golden Harvest in association with New Line Cinema. Harvest, once again, getting a mention on the show this week. Uh, yep. But around this time, they had already considered, well, they've already kind of accepted that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was on the downswing. Uh, they knew that uh, it, the popularity was starting to wane. Uh, the high point of the Turtles was over. You know, Turtle Mania, as we call it, or whatever it was called. Uh, was it was starting to phase out. Mm -hmm. So they ended up vastly reducing the budget from what was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Uh, so number three was budgeted straight down to 21 million. You know, which I'm is, honestly surprised it didn't just come straight out on video. Uh, to be honest, they were milking the, the last they could out of the Ninja Turtles franchise. And, you know, I say whenever something has to use the time travel device, Masters yes. of the Universe style to go to somewhere else. I, I can't remember who it was that said it, but someone did say that every single long running uh, series of stories will get to a point where time travel will be involved. Yes, they they always fall back on it. Pick um, it. Pick, pick something x-files you know uh, um bloody game of thrones did it with the whole um three-eyed raven thing yeah. it, it happens to everything yeah uh, and it also didn't help the fact that um new line wanted to tone down the violence of you know the first movie which you know was criticized by a lot of parents at the time but it really isn't a kid's movie no <laughs> if you're looking it, it was probably more so if you lived over this side of the yeah. pond than if you're in the u.s so that's why in two, they kind of phased their weapons down. And in three, they phased them down even more. In the UK, we still had the nunchuck ban. So yeah. Michelangelo just might as well have stood there with his hands on his hips like, eh, what am I doing? Got nothing to do. Where's my grappling hook? And the, the telling sign for this, and I remember uh, reading about it, this was not screened for critics, which is your typical lame duck movie move that you know the film is going to get absolutely assassinated. Yeah. But do you know the strange thing was? It was a hit. It, it really did make some money. Um, well, I, it I've got, got to, to be honest, I preferred, I preferred this one to the second one. Yeah. I well, honestly did. Go Ninja, go Ninja, go. Yeah. As I call it. You know, you can keep Vanilla Rice and the Ninja Ramp. That's its proper name. And Taco and um, Razor, so you didn't have yeah. to do Bebop and Rocksteady. 
Though they couldn't get, there was some problem with that. They couldn't get the rights for Bebop and Rocksteady, or the, because the cartoon was using them, or something like that, and they weren't allowed to use them. Yeah, it it was something incredibly stupid, and you know, um, don't you think the amazing thing is we've now got another Ninja Turtles movie coming out this year? I just saw the trailer for it the other day. It looks hilarious. Seth Rogen. Uh, is involved in it. It's got an amazing cast, including John Cena in there and a few others. And it looks hilarious. And it's done in that Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse style animation. Yes. Yes. Now that you mention it. Yeah, I have seen that. I have seen the trailer Mutant for that. Mayhem, I believe it's called. Yeah. And I saw the trailer and it was like, I'm going to love this. I'm loving it. And I loved the rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles anime uh, movie that came out last year i think it was i thought that was incredible as well so i've still got a lot of love for the turtles movies i, st- I even love the michael bay produced ones because there was the one which came out in about 2010 the oh, animated one 2007 yes 2007 yeah yeah that, that was pretty bad. good yeah, yeah. It, at the end of the day you don't really have teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 is probably the worst of the turtles movies but you'll still enjoy it for what it is yeah, it's, but that was aimed more for the kids. This one, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three, was aimed even more at kids. Um, but you know, it's it's still enjoyable, and we still enjoy the turtles. Like what, four decades later now? Yeah, since they first arrived in eighty seven, and my kid looks way like... way different to the original comics now. Yeah, way but, out there. But they are a franchise, I think, that will always be around i think that is a, a major franchise that is always going to be satisfactory mm-hmm. um but yes uh so that's uh teenage mutant ninja turtles 3 30 wow that does make me feel old yes one that made me oh, feel old is our final on, what's one the last here. one 10 years ago steve mm-hmm. uh, a movie called the crudes was released Ah, yet again, two this week. I've seen that one as well. You've seen that one? Oh, that's very good. Um, yes. The Crudes, uh, directed by the team of Kirk uh, D'Amico and Chris Sanders. I hope I said D'Amico correctly. Uh, they have either gone on or prior to this been responsible for a lot of great family movies. Recently, there's been stuff like Vivo. Uh, there's Racing Stripes. Uh, they'd also written stuff like Lilo and Stitch, How to Train Your Dragon, uh, Mulan. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Disney, the animated version, live action version, even though they're both very good in my view. Uh, this was uh, this was the make or break movie for DreamWorks, don't you know? I can understand that because I think everything beforehand with Shrek was starting to lose its luster. Things like yes. Shark Tale and everything that w- they were just well, not really bombs because they would have made money, but critically they were getting a mauling. Well, stuff like shark tales just wasn't it wasn't good i was in la around the time of this okay so around the time that this was um released and i remember the hearing the stories about it and the, and the truth is uh dreamworks prior to this laid off around 350 employees and that was due to the failure of a great movie called rise of the guardians that came out oh, prior to this it, that was um it's like a Christmassy themed Yeah, that uh, was Zack Snyder, wasn't it? No, you're thinking of Legend of the Guardians. That's, that's the, the owl one. one. Yes. Yeah, Which yeah. is good. Uh, yeah, I the like Rise it. of the Guardians, that's the um like the Father Christmas, the Easter Bunny, Jack Frost. 
Wouldn't it turn out that the fact that maybe they were just confused about the two movies and think, I've already seen that one. Yeah. You never know. Uh, so basically, uh, it came down to a point they'd laid all of these 350 employees off. And the word around the water cooler was that if the crudes failed, they were prepared to lay off even more to avoid going bankrupt. That's Ooh. how bad things were for DreamWorks at the time. Now, the good thing about the crudes, it ended up being the sixth highest grossing film of that year. Ooh. Right? Gave, okay. It gave DreamWorks one of the best financial earnings in its company history. Um, I think it's, it's an all right film. It's not it, a classic. I think the no, sequel was better, to be honest. Oh, I don't. I, 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 if given the choice between the two, I much prefer the first one. Oh. Um, but you know, it's, it's an all Martin. right film. It's, uh, it is what it is. Who played um, the the girl in it? Was it Emma Stone? Yes, it was Emma Stone. Yes, thought so. Emma Stone, Ryan Reynolds, Nicholas Cage. Cage. Gina's most Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Now, well, yeah. originally, uh, this movie was going to be a stop-motion animation movie in association with Ardman Animation. And it was originally going to be called Crude Awakening, which I thought was pretty cool. That's better. That is That's better. better. That is yeah. better. Uh, apparently, um, th there was a bit of a to-do. Ardman ceased their working relationship with DreamWorks, and this project stayed with DreamWorks uh, as it okay. was. And it kept getting pushed back. So The Croods was a project that kept getting pushed back for other projects like How I Change a Dragon and stuff like that and Rise of the Guardians. They thought it was probably more commercially, you know, uh, acceptable than The Croods was. And it turned out completely wrong. They probably could have earned that Croods money way ahead. So yeah. realistically, all of those employees got laid off because somebody thought, well, this film's going to be better than that film. And uh, that's the studio system for you. There is... so for some reason, all I'm thinking of right now is the fact that the second one was Cloris Leachman's last film. Yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So yeah, it was the second one. Wow. Yeah, played Granny. I had forgotten about that. Um, well, I mean, I think it's it's beautifully animated. I'll give it that. Mm -hmm. you know, there, there are some laughs in there. It's a great film you can watch with your kids. Uh, some little known facts about it. One, it was Ryan Reynolds' first ever time voice acting in an animated movie. Outside of that leaked Deadpool footage, I guess. Yeah, well, we don't count that. <laughs> we don't count that. Um, that was a whole movie. Come on. Nice. Uh, but an amazing fact that The Croods was the first ever full-length animated feature that was screened at the Berlin Film Festival. Okay. Did it get like a standing ovation, awards, it, it, anything? Uh, it, it was screened out of competition. Right. So it was kind of a, a, a kind of special at attraction, I guess. Uh, but it does hold uh, that record for being the first ever film at a film festival. And uh, what is uh, this? What is this that I'm watching here now? It's, it's, what is this? A caveman? Why, why is this going on? Paul, what are you doing here? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, here, I'm here to just direct something. Get your clothes yes. off. It's fine. Yes. Where the I'm Paul Verhoeven. It's fine. <laughs> Where's the bugs? There should be bugs eating them all by now. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, but yeah, uh, The Croods was really monumental, and I don't think DreamWorks would be around today without it. So I think The Croods deserves a bit more praise over stuff like Shrek and things like that, or the, the Shrek the Third and 
um, Shrek Ever Shrek After. after. And, yeah, that, that obviously, you know, we're not doing it. I know Puss in Boots yeah. was a great movie uh, that we mentioned on a couple of episodes past. Um, but yeah, um, The Croods was the movie that practically saved their ass. Shrek, if you know what I did last Friday the 13th. Uh, very good. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Anyway, uh, that is the anniversaries for this week's Devo. Well, yes, I'm actually surprised. Two out of them I've seen. No, no, you, you're getting up. better. You're yeah, getting you better. can tell that it's the kid-friendly stuff that I've seen, though, can't you? Yes. <laughs> Quality stuff. Ah, Sonic. I, I left a message on uh, for your mum on um, Facebook the other day on our Pottywood page. Yeah. She'd say happy Mother's Day to her. And I said, you know, this show probably would have been terrible if you'd have bought him a VHS instead of that Mega Drive. <laughs> hey, SNES. Oh, thank you very I did, much. I did also put slash SNES. Yes. You weren't there for the great Nintendo Sega War of the early 90s. I fought in those trenches. I, was there. I, I chose my side easily. Yeah. You were Mega Drive, weren't you? I was, yes, on Mega CD. <laughs> Mega CD. <laughs> it was cutting edge at the time. Sewer Shock yeah. was amazing. To yeah. One. Paper cutting. <laughs> anyway. And speaking of paper cutting, it's time for Andy to drag out some little bits of paper from a box. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box, everybody? Um, as Andy is currently off grabbing hold of the, the box, um, I'm assured there is a box. I don't know. All He's kept it from me. Even when I've gone over to his house, he's just like, no, no, you're not seeing the box. No, because I don't want any tampering. Yeah, uh, but what's in the box is the part of the show where Andy is going to improve my movie education and stop me from being uneducated. Uh, basically, he's going to pull out the name of a movie from a box, and if I have seen the film, then he's going to keep pulling out names of movies until he finds one that I haven't seen, and then I've got to go and wait and watch it the day before we record our next episode. And more to the point, all of these films are guaranteed to be fresh. On Rotten Tomatoes. That is the key point. But I will say there are a couple of wild cards that are mixed in that I thought were too good to throw away out of the shit box. Okay. When they show up, I don't know. They're all mixed in. I quite enjoyed the, the shit box. No, I enjoyed it. Was it. it was depressing. But yeah. I did see some that I was like, okay, yeah, actually, I do want him to see that. So, yeah, a few that I liked. Okay, so for the first one. Okay. I'm going to open it up. This is great because for the first time I'm actually seeing these slips of paper that he's pulling out. To rip all these up, I can't roll any joints now. Joke. Joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. Okay, Steve. Uh, Oh, we've actually mentioned this one before. But the thing is, I know you said you saw it, but you couldn't remember it. So I don't know if it counts. Was it that um, Jackie Chan one that I said? No. We said earlier, no, no, not on this show. It's one of the previous okay. episodes available in the archives. Um, the commitments, commitments, no, no. All I remember from that film was seeing uh, guys sing Joe Cocker songs over and over and over again, and it made me never want to watch it. 
So does that mean you've watched it or you've not watched it? I haven't watched it, no. So that means you've got to watch it? Yes. Okay. Well, that was easy enough. Uh, I thought we were having a contender there to see if we uh, were going to break the five. It's got to be break the five now. Yeah, because we did quite well last week, didn't we? We did. Available in the archives. Um, yes. So, yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, this is a, a turbocharged episode of the show. We've flown through it. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, um, where are the guests? Where are the guests? Um, they are coming, I promise you. They are coming. Uh, the main thing is we were looking to get into this new format that you're seeing now with clips and animations and stuff like that. And poor Steve worked his ass off to get us to this level. So we thought it's better to get this running properly and to get Steve comfortable with the editing time and stuff like that before we start cramming guests in and then everything starts to get jammed up. So they will be coming back yes. and uh, we're all going to have some amazing stories. We're working on some great guests. Our previous guests are even working on great guests for us. It's amazing. Um, yes. so, so just because you're not seeing them here doesn't mean that we aren't going to be getting any more back on. We are. Yes. In the meantime, you can just join sorted. us. Join us on What's in the Box. Yes. Engage with us. That's what we're here for. We want to hear from you. So, you know, fire us out some questions, uh, especially around the movies that Steve's got to watch. Yeah. And if you're in any doubt as to how you need to do that, then it's simple. First of all, you can head over to facebook.com forward slash Pottywood. You can hit us up on Twitter at Pottywood. You can get in touch with us on LinkedIn. Uh, you can join our myspace page which may be up at some time in the future you can you can write a note in the sand and hope that it gets seen by aircraft you can do any of that stuff but please we want to hear from you we want to engage in this conversation because we'd love you to subscribe fun. as well yes and also we need to mention here steve uh, just before we sign off uh, for those of you that do sign up to our Patreon, you will have early access to audio versions of these episodes, uh, maybe a couple of days, a day, whatever, before yes, the video version of the show comes out. Yeah. That, that's what you get for your money. Yeah. So if you want to listen to what we're pumping out just that little bit earlier than everybody else, then you can head over to our Patreon page. Uh, all the links and descriptions are all below somewhere. You just look down the description. Yeah, the links around. are there. You can they're find around. it. And if you yes. want to, if you want to hear what Steve was pumping out, you can now go back and watch before the devil knows you're dead, and uh, listen to the part of the show if you missed it. Thank yes. you very much. And oh, one last shout out. Oh. I was at a, a function the other night with a load of old friends, and uh, I've got to say a big shout out to Pam McCall, who has just subscribed to listen to our show while she is on her walks and at the gym. Hi, Hi Pam. Pam. Hope you're enjoying it. Yeah, if well, not, you can shout at him. Yeah, and, and she will. <laughs> right. Well, with that in mind, it is now a goodbye from me. And uh, I've already left. This is just my answering service. Leave a message after this theme music. Thank you.